When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, what's up, Geekscapists? Welcome to our brand new Geekscape podcast. I'm Jonathan London, your host. And if this is your first Geekscape, I'm going to ask you where you've been the last 15 years that we've been podcasting every single week. Well, okay, we took some time off that one time in 2010, again in 2003, but we didn't go away for more than a few months. No, wait, we didn't go away for more than a few weeks. So y'all have been pretty damn spoiled over the last 15 uh you know, years, and uh, we're going to continue to spoil you here as we talk pop culture, movies, comics, video games, all that stuff, because we got our we got a great guest. We got Jamie Kennedy. He's an actor, a host. Uh, he's a producer. He's a comedian, and uh, he's in lockdown during this pandemic. He, I think, he, he loves touring. He loves going on the road, and that's uh, that's his business. And he hasn't been able to do it. He did start a podcast, though. So we're going to talk about the podcast. We're going to also talk about his brand new movie coming out this weekend. It's called Last Call. Uh, it starts with Jeremy Piven, Taryn Manning, um, Bruce Dern, who I got to talk to him about because Bruce Dern, you all know him. And uh, that's that's a legend right there. So we got Jamie Kennedy on the show and I uh, hope you all are all doing great in the pandemic. I hope we're I think we're almost out of this. I get my next shot next week and uh, we'll see what happens. You know, the, the last shot just made my arm sore. And other than that, I'm feeling pretty damn good. So we'll see. I, I'm looking forward to the 5G. So hopefully that that uh, helps the stream a little bit when I get the 5G going and the nanobots are running around my system, giving me a little bit of a tech boost. All right, here's Jamie Kennedy on Geekscape. Ja- uh, Jamie, what's up, man? Dude, how, are, <laughs> how, are your fish, how are your fish scales? They're pretty good. You know what? I wanted to hold out on the, you know, people are, <laughs> your name is Alyssa Mai on my stream. That's great. <laughs> 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 Alyssa. Ah. Can we just keep it? No way. I'm, I'm changing it. <laughs> but it's oh. hilarious. Tell Alyssa. It's freaking hilarious. It's it's Alyssa, Alyssa get <laughs> How do he change? <laughs> but, <laughs> he did that on purpose, dude. He wants clout. You know what? It happens. Uh, my girlfriend Heidi's in the other room, and she, whenever she hears her name, she comes in here and is like, what? You'll see that that door open up, and she's like, y'all talking about me? I think women just have that sense where it's like, wait, you talking shit? <laughs> <laughs> if, if they're a Mexican mom being raised by a Mexican mom, if you if they have that spider sense of, are you talking shit? The chancla is like already in their hands. They've already got like that sandal and they're ready to boomerang it around the fucking room and just like knock you on your ass. I don't know how much experience you have with the Latina women, but it's like a superpower. 
that they've got. Look at that. Look at that. Oh, Look wow. Like, she, yeah. just, she's, she just jumps right in. Oh, she's watching the stream. Well, get off of it because I need the Wi-Fi for the for the conversation here with JB. Um, how's it going, dude? Listen, you've been in the lockdown, and uh, you said you just got back to performing some comedy. That's got to be kind of weird. Doing it? Are you doing it from like right there? The comedy? Did some Zoom shows, but usually uh, it's hard because the laughs are usually uh, buffering. Um, but like I've been going out and. St- doing more shows in like parking lots and you know fields and stuff like that and and you know next week they're gonna be like where's the jamie kennedy performing oh i heard he's in front of that bush you know i heard <laughs> he's killing it in front of the pussy willow <laughs> so it's 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 we're getting out there again i didn't mind quarantine to be honest with you i'm doing a lot of stuff that i didn't normally get to do i fixed my house up i cleaned up all my taxes i got better shape so i used the pandemic productively wrote a script but we'll see we'll see if that my life changes yeah i feel like people a year ago realized that they were going to be in lockdown for a bit and as it started stretching on they're like you know what this is my chance to write the great american novel and they kind of need to let themselves off the hook a year mm-hmm. later if that great American novel just didn't freaking happen. I think the best you could have done was like stay in shape and maybe write a few things. But I think we were kind of like stuck to the news for the most part for a year. Uh, yeah, after the first couple uh, months, I was like, let's take that news down. And then in L.A., uh, are you in L.A.? Yeah, yeah. So the sun, was, we had a pretty sunny beginning to this in terms of the weather. So. I went out in the weather a lot. I just went in my yard and it was like, I didn't even leave my property. Remember, no one was leaving that property. We didn't know what the fuck was happening. So I was just like, I'll get the sun, get the sun. <laughs> so I was, I was like absorbing the sun and I was like doing that and trying to eat, take vitamins. And then slowly but surely you started. The first trip to Trader Joe's was the scariest thing. It was like, oh my God, what am I going to like the gloves and the thing. Yeah, you had to dress up like Dustin Hoffman in Outbreak to like go to oh, Ralph's. Thousands. You know what I'm saying? And then like come home and spray your organic <sighs> vegetables. Like smoke comes out of the helmet when you lift it off. Yeah. You, you like go. Yeah. You spray your organic vegetables with Lysol. <laughs> and we're like wiping it and like getting takeout it was like <laughs> dumping it. So I think as we got through it, you know, now it's, I mean, I'm careful, but it's like, we don't even know what the hell's happening. Okay. So the things we're going to remember, I think, like the toilet paper, the Made toilet no paper, sense. it Made was out of control. No sense. Made no sense. Made but no people sense. were freaking out. The plastic glove. I mean, the, the, Why the rubber are they gloves. buying toilet paper? Why are they buying toilet paper? Why? Yeah, no, there, there's plenty of, I mean, I could have just gone into the comic books at this point. It's Geekscape, so I have a ton of comic books. If, the, if we run out of toilet paper, there's a lot of like really bad issues of comics that I would have just started busting out. <laughs> I'm kidding, that's sacrilege on my show. <laughs> it is, but you could use a sock. Right, yeah, just wash it, just wash it. Use- or just like, <laughs> use a leaf. I just, why is it, did, did you think you were just going to be Going to the toilet all day? It just made no sense. But go ahead. I'm sorry. 
<laughs> no, no. I, I think that the things we're going to remember are that week that we were like, okay, we got to get the toilet paper. We've got to get the sprays. And all the sprays are sold out. And so you, then you got to get the wipes. And you had to get the rubber gloves. Like, we're giving each other colonoscopies. Like, you had to have the rubber gloves. Anything you went to, you go to fill up the gas, you had to get the rubber gloves. And then here in L.A., this, the crazy thing is, like, in Burbank, they started having lines around the, the, like the block for handguns. That was the thing that started selling out like over the summer. Did you see those news stories like people in Burbank on Victory, like the handgun stores? And they're now we got these liberal people like buying weapons like they're in the middle of fucking Texas. Right. I don't want to tell people what I have. But one thing I did do is I have a bunch of Coke bottles. And I don't know if you can say this, but it's the good Coke. It's the Mexican Coke. You know, those ones. Mm -hmm. That's like the best Coca-Cola because it's got the real sugar in it. And it's called Mexican Cokes. And I had about 10 of those bottles filled with gas. <laughs> I because I just thought it could be on. So I better have some Molotovs ready. And I had them all strategically placed around my house. It wasn't to like get out of town. It wasn't like, okay, listen, like I don't actually have a gas tank. And if I need to fill up the car and get the fuck out of here... I'm gonna need I, had, <laughs> I had extra gas. For some reason, I got a lot of gas. That's what I thought. We need gas. But I had those cocktails ready. I was going to go straight Negan style, you know, from Walking right. Dead. I was like, because I figured I could get on my roof. And if I saw some, you know, that's how you no, scare Well, here's the, here's the thing. Like, we did a documentary a few years ago called Doc of the Dead. And I interviewed all these preppers about, like, what happens when the shit hits the fan. I interviewed people who built like bunkers in their backyards. I, I interviewed people who were uh, loading up on guns. We went and shot guns in San Diego County. Like we started shooting all these, these guns up for the film. And I just kept interviewing them. Like, what's the most important thing? What's the most important thing? Clean water, clean water, clean water. And we did that because the purpose was to talk about like, oh, what's your zombie survival plan? When you talk about Walking Dead or, you know, walking, going to festivals with that film, people were like, oh, I've got the best zombie survival plan. And my argument was like, what's your human survival plan? And so you start developing that. And really, like, there's nothing that's ever been built that people don't fucking get into. People get into everything. And I think, yeah, that, I don't know if you want to go up on your roof and be like, yo, I'm over here. <laughs> I don't think the Molotovs will scare them off for a while. Well, then you don't know it's in the house, maybe. Or, you know, you, you, there's a lot of tricks. But at that time, I'm just saying it was so weird. Mm -hmm. That we really, I'm not saying it's not weird. But your now. brain went there. But your brain went there. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was pretty funky for a little while. We were completely like, we, we were under curfew during a pandemic with extreme, you know, racial inequality and, and, you know, major distrust among everyone. And, and, and like, they were talking possible food shortages, and it, we didn't know if you know if the virus was floating in the air. It still don't, and it's it was so weird. Like, and my brother's older than me, and I was like, "Is this the weirdest time?" And he's like, "Yeah," and he's like, "Dude," and I lived through Vietnam. It's like hmm. this is weirder than that, dude. So it's the weirdest of weird. Yeah, um, I think it's gonna still gonna be a bit before we get like get out of it. You know, I said in the in the pre-show, like uh, I got my next shot next week, but 
uh, you know, you still got to wear masks. I think Heidi's really excited. She's like, oh, we can go back to the movies in like a, a month or two. And I'm like, yeah, wearing a mask. You going know? back to the movies, how many people want to go to the movies, though? Come on. Dude, I would love to go to the movies, but I'm not going to go to the movies if I can, like, get infected and then carry it to somebody else. You know what I mean? Because, like, even if you and have that you vaccine. you have the vaccination, yes. Right. But like, there's even also if you're, a lot of – Yeah. There's a lot of people that ain't looking to get that. Dude, know? I talked and to my then, brother last – My brother last night was like, I don't know what's in it. And I'm like, dude, fucking read what's in it. There's a level of trust that I think has been eroded. Oh, completely. So that and then movies in general, you know, do you want to sit there or what's going on? Um, like I went to a place top golf and I was distancing and that was like my first out in a long time over this weekend. And it was outside and it was in a very windy place and it was far enough away from people and I was masked up hard. But I mean, eventually, I mean, there's states, I was in a state that they're eating inside. It was in Arizona mm -hmm. and I was the first time I left the state really. And I was like, but I don't know. They, so I, every place is different, but I just try to protect myself, you know? Yeah. I think that's kind of what you have to do. And then you get in the danger of being too preachy, but then you want to be preachy because you want to protect people, but then you come off as too preachy and then you get the blowback on being preachy. Right. And I got to tell you like the biggest the biggest side effect I got because I'm an educator, the biggest side effect I got for the side effect from that first shot was people saying, you don't look 65. <laughs> it was just like the woke police on my Instagram being like, you don't look 65. Like I stole somebody's shot. And I'm like, dude, just look at the oh, news. You got yeah. it. <laughs> Only a 65 and older is supposed to get it. That's what the big idea was that like 65 and older, you know, low-income neighborhoods, and then they opened it up for educators. And as a part-time college instructor, I was allowed to do it. So two days later, I get my shot, posted on Instagram to try and like propagate, you know, positivity about getting a vaccine and a good message. And all I get in response is, you don't look 65. Like I ripped it out of the hands of like a poor dude. <laughs> poor older dude. Listen, a dude. poor older dude. Yeah, you can't win, man. You can't do nothing. You know that. It's done. Mm -hmm. Society is cooked, dude. You can't, you can't, you can't. You know, you ever hear the term, no good deed goes unpunished? Of course, yeah. That's what happened to you. And I was listening to your, to, I love your YouTube. Oh, and uh, what I love about your YouTube is the level of candidness that you, that I like to have on this show, where, you know, they know your inside life, they know what's really inside of your head. I thought that the YouTube that you did on being a performer and the level of just after you get up on stage and I'd done my, a little bit of time in stand up uh, here and there. And just the time when you get off the stage, the level of decompression that it takes to not be on and just like push the world away and re and let it kind of, you know, filter it back in uh, over time, I think is crucial to performers. Yeah, dude, I, there's nothing, I did a show the other night and, um, and you're come off stage, you're all hot, right? That, that's one thing. But then to come off stage in a pandemic, I did a show where you have just headphones and you speak into the microphone and the audience hears it through the headphones. So you hear their laughter so your one ear is exposed, and so you hear 
They're, you can't hear me anymore? No, I can hear you, but that sounds oh. insane. It sounds no. like how they had sex in Demolition Man. You know what no. I mean? Where they're like That's holding the fucking shells. You know what I'm saying? Like, what is that? Well, it's basically like you tell the joke. You can hear their laughter in one ear, and you can hear yourself in the other, but you can just put the thing over so your ears exposed, and you can hear their real laughter. But since we can't do outside shows right now because of the pandemic and the noise ordinance, it's a way to do a show. And so I have to deal with that. I have to deal with changing the microphone. I have to deal with wiping it down. I have to deal with make sure we're far enough away. And then I have to have be funny. And there's like seven levels now. And so, if, you know, after you come off stage, you want to like just take a second to collect yourself. And then you run into people that you know that you're comfortable with. That's okay. But then it's like, what if you don't know them? Did I say the wrong thing, et cetera? So. The decompression is huge in my book. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that, you know, there's not enough buffers to performers. Um, and it's harder when you're a comedian because people think that what you do is the, you're bringing fun and you're bringing joy. And so they want to consume you like cotton candy. And uh, you're not. I mean, and then if you're not, you're going against what you're, what they, what you just did. You elicited a fun time and yet you're a little prickly, but you're not prickly. You're just, you need a moment. You need to collect yourself. And only people that really do it, if really, really do it or sing or act or whatever, know that you just need a minute. And that's, mm -hmm. that's why I made that video. Cause I was just feeling like pulled on. And there's a, you know, the, the trade-off is that they've, you have your your kind of currency is a level of access on stage, and even though it's it, it's an extension of yourself, and it's a little bit of a of a you know it's yourself through a, a comedic prism, you're giving them a level of sincerity and vulnerability that they're like, oh, I'm in the club, I'm in the club, I'm in I'm in the club with Jamie, I know him, and he won't mind if I have a little bit of extra access, but that's not really the truth i mean it, you know in stand-up i think that your that your character is kind of important too and you need to be sincere and you need to be vulnerable in order for people to go along with what you're saying but that the wall when the wall comes back up they kind of feel betrayed <laughs> you know what i mean they're like wait wait hold on you just told us about all these intimate things that happened in your life well, and then I, I can't get a photo with you no no that's that that's different. I'm I'm actually as vulnerable as I am on stage and vulnerable off stage. Mm -hmm. I'm probably more vulnerable off stage. I should be more vulnerable on stage, but it's like sometimes mm -hmm. when I had the most vulnerable things on stage, they're not that funny. But you know, and then and unfortunately comedy has that action result where you have to like elicit a laugh and sometimes you just you don't have funny ideas, right? But my thing with that is it's like collect yourselves. The show's over. Let's take a minute. We're going to have a meet and greet. Um, there's a lot of people here. There's some people that want to do that. So the place has to empty out. And then there's other people that want to stay and do the meet and greet. And um, that's fine. But, like, the show is one part of your experience. And that's you paid your ticket and you got, hopefully, what you got in that money. And then... The meet and greet after is like you want to get some merch, you want to take a picture and stuff. And I've done thousands of stuff and I never charge. 
I only really charge when they buy merch, but people want a picture on the way out. Of course I'll take it. You know, there's people that don't do that, you know, and you can do whatever you want. Time is money, right? But I want to build my fan base up. But I'm saying it's like the the talk. Sometimes after an hour, most you're just give me a second. So you're never really going to be decompressed. So you really shouldn't do a meet and greet because you're not going to be the best version of yourself because you're tired. So you need an hour, but you don't have it. And then it's people are a little wasted. They're a little loopy. And, you know, I don't mind people grab me and stuff, but it's like the pulling on you, the judgment, hurry up, smile. That type of stuff is like, yo, take a sec, take a sec. And if there's not proper, you know, security to help you, that's when I get a little, can I have a minute? Can you just mm-hmm. take a picture and be happy? Can we? So, yeah, that, that can have moments. And I've had, I could tell you stories of people, you know, older uh, white women in their 40s who've had too many <laughs> Glasses of Franzia, <laughs> and they'll it's just pull them. on you. They'll pull on you, man. And like, yo, and they're like, yeah, hey, get up, hey, Carol, get over here. And it's like, I did just even bumped at your elbow by accident. It's a fucking felony now. I was uh, running around in character at Comic Con once. I think I've told this story on the on the show. And people want to take pictures because it's me running around in my speedo, doing an '80s action character, and I this one woman wants a photo and I older woman, I, I put my hand, arms around her and then I feel like a wet pinch and she's biting my nipple in the, for the photo. And I'm just trying not to break care. I'm just like, what the Whoa. is going through your head that you thought it was okay to like bite me in the damn nipple. And I know I'm in a speedo. I know I'm like, like riding around like an over-sexualized joke, but, uh, uh, playing a character here, lady. <laughs> Don't know if I need you biting my nipple. Uh, thank goodness Comic Con got canceled for COVID last summer because I definitely didn't need that this year, man. Well, um, people, people definitely at cons, they definitely uh, overstepped the bounds, and I get it. Everybody's all juiced up, and your favorite character from a favorite movie is there. But I mean. If in our new society where everything is something, yeah, they're gonna have to reevaluate that because that is that is that's like six levels deep of where you can't go. <laughs> I, th- you know I what think. I mean, yeah, they, I, she and I were in a relationship at that point. Yeah, I was like, yeah, 100%. you're not my girl. You're now my girlfriend. I think. Like, Dude, I guess we've been in a relationship now. Hurt. That was <laughs> hurt. I it. I was. It just took a while for the for like the signal to get to the dinosaur's brain because I was like, wait, that can't be what what the fuck? <laughs> it's like what is happening? Um, you've played a superhero. I know the Geekscapists want me to talk to you about the specials because they love James Gunn. They love that movie, dude. That's a cult movie. Bro, thank God and thank you to the Geekscapers because um that movie's a very, very special place in my heart no pun intended um i'll give you a little backstory so i was doing this my first dramatic role uh was in a movie and it's called stricken and i met a bunch of like these midwest actors a group of them they all kind of knew each other from the chicago st louis area and one of them was sean gunn who's a, who's been on the show he's a he's a friend Oh, that's we awesome. We love Sean. We love Sean. 
Yeah. And I saved his girlfriend, Tisha, from getting run over in a race. We were in a race together in a car, like jumped onto the sidewalk trying to check her out, like went through a pylon, like threw it onto the, the sidewalk and I grabbed her. And that's how she and I met, which is also how I met Sean. Wow. <laughs> it's an insane story. She told it on the show a couple months ago with Sean, but insane. We love Sean. Every, everybody's okay? Yeah. Yeah, but we were almost both flattened. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that was my only specials moment was saving her from getting hit by the car. <laughs> yeah, you were like a superhero. Um, or, or, yeah, or she stopped and that saved me. <laughs> wow. Well, Anyway, I was meeting I was on the set and you know, and I was starting to get success in Hollywood and I knew it was like the key was like to create your own stuff. And so Sean's like, you know, I got this brother, you know, my all of his brothers are, are writers, are all in the I think they're all in the business except for one. And um like one was working at another film company, another was writing another script. Sean was an actor and James was working at uh, trauma, I believe, at the time, and he gave me three scripts, all different genres, all incredibly written, just like incredible, like just page turners. Um, I don't even know if I could say about the other script. Like James has this like horror script that's so good. I don't know if you've ever made it. It didn't but, turn in. It didn't turn into the slug one, or it didn't turn into because I know Super took him a while to make too. Super was the superhero like beating up the neighborhood, and it ended, ended up having Rain Wilson in it. And no, then, I know Super. He had he had another. And then Slither was the one with like the the little slugs getting into your bodies and stuff. Yeah. He. I don't. No, this script was either one of those. I think the script was called Pure, mm-hmm. and it was so well written. And it was just so good. And this other script we had was the specials. And he's like, look, what if I, what if there was a group of superheroes and they were like the sixth best group of superheroes in the world. So they always got like the shit jobs. And it was just bam, like the concept done. I was like, that's fucking amazingly brilliant. And, uh, then I met James, and then you know he needed a place to stay, so I said, "Just come live with me for a while. I'm not going to be there much. I'm filming a lot. Let's try to get your movie made." And that's how the process started. And it it was the first thing I ever got a producing credit on, and it was just it was awesome. And it it you know the movie kind of came out, and kind of no one really saw it much in the theaters because it didn't really have the marketing behind it. But it's such a good movie at the time. Mystery Men came out, and other movies, but it's just way ahead of its time. I mean, you could argue that there's the realistic dialogue. What makes Marvel, I believe so good is this extraordinary world. And I'm not an expert on this, but yet with completely real, relatable human talk and dialogue. Right. So you got, no one is talking like this. No right. one. Is. Jesus Christ. Do I got to go and fucking blow up that fucking that moon really quick. All right. <laughs> like you, you never saw that before, you know? So that's what James, the specials had. And obviously James is highly, highly, highly involved in the Marvel universe is one of the heads. And it's like that reality dialogue with that specialness and that it's, that's why Marvel's incredible. But the specials was like the indie version without the special effects, if you will. Yeah. I think that's what, 
James keyed in on. And I've met him a few times. We shared an editor uh, for, for a while, about 10 years ago. And, um, the, you know, being a Marvel fanboy, and I know he was a Marvel fanboy, and uh, Geekscape, we have that Lloyd Kaufman trauma connection. It's just the humanity that Stan Lee gave that those characters, that all those Marvel guys gave those characters. They grounded them. They were real-world people. They just happened to have super superpowers that were almost like a burden at sometimes like it's almost a pain in the ass to have these powers because it falls on you to do the right thing and sometimes you don't feel like doing the right thing and watching something like i don't know if you watched the wandavision stuff that was on disney plus recently but i think that's what everybody gravitated to was that this was a series about grief and loss but it was happening to a superhero and people picked up on that you know I have to watch it. It looks incredible. I haven't watched it yet, but yeah, I mean, anytime you could have a really grounded character is awesome in any genre, but when he has like out of this world abilities, it's just, it's like so much more believable and cool, you know? And that's, you know, that's why Iron Man worked so well. Just the, the groundedness of that was incredible. When you look at the specials, what's insane is like Craig Mazin directed it. And Craig Mazin is like do it writing blockbuster stuff. He wrote that Chernobyl series. He co-wrote that Chernobyl series for HBO that came out last year that was a big award winner and was like crazy well done. Look, and it's huge. It, like there's so many huge names on that freaking thing. Thomas Hayden Church, all those actors. Thomas Hayden Church, I before his Oscar nom. Um, James Gunn before Guardians, um, Craig before Chernobyl, who I believe won an Emmy and a Golden Globe, mm-hmm. um, Peter Troggett before he produced Aquaman and you know, all the other huge movies, uh, Judy Greer. Um, I mean, just dude, keep Rob, going. yeah, and Paget. I mean, and Rob, Rob, Rob was got you know. You know, shout out to Rob because Rob got the movie greenlit. He was like, once he read it and committed, it was like on, and that was awesome of him to do. Well, now that this stuff is all like coming back, you're a producer on the movie. I think the nerds want it to be like special edition. Where's the Jamie Kennedy wait. cut? <laughs> <laughs> no, wait, well, I'm, I'm going to answer that. But what? So that I love that this movie. So it has a new life now. Yeah, that's the one that I was getting questions about. I didn't get uh, nobody asked. Like I was like, "Hey, throw me your questions." Geekscape is for for Jamie Kennedy, and there's there's a lot of like between you and Geekscape, there's a lot of intertwining. Like um, our friend Taylor Morden made the last blockbuster that you. I just saw you in it. Just came out on Netflix on Monday, and we yesterday. And last blockbuster is great. Geekscape is if you want a documentary on the last blockbuster. I used to work at Blockbuster in high school. Like Jamie's in the movie. I have to watch it. I hear it's amazing. I got yeah, and you're it. and you're great in it. You know, really? Taylor did a movie on on ska that uh, a lot of our friends are in. We do a lot of uh, stuff now with like the Lesson Jake guys and the Real Big Fish guys. That's how I started out was doing Real Big Fish music videos. So like Taylor did that ska documentary, and then he did that blockbuster documentary. And I'm watching the documentary, and it, suddenly Jamie Kennedy pops up, and don't you don't just pop up, but you have like a crazy gem of how that started your. Career. Don't tell like, me. Don't tell me. I gotta watch. Uh, well, okay. Yeah, <laughs> well, I, I, I thought I some of your stuff was like the best of the documentary. But let's talk about how the specials and how we're gonna make some money with this re-release. How you're gonna make some money with this re-release on Blu-ray, HBO Max, the the, the Jamie the, Kennedy cut. <laughs> I mean, look, I 
you know, I couldn't have asked for better collaborators. I know that there's like all these stories that James told on the uh, DVD commentary. Day. I have to remember some of the stuff that, uh, but it's like, I know that there's some great stories that happened. And the movie was just, it was so fun to make, um, intense to make, and really made by attrition. Like no one, the movie, it's like when, you know, when geniuses are at work, you know, like James is, it's people don't see the vision, you know, because he's so ahead of the time. And it's like really no one, you know, uh, the company that made it were guys like you. They really got comic books, you know, and Peter really got what it was. Uh, Not Peter Trogett, by the way. I am so sorry. You have to take that part out of the pot. It's Peter Safran. I apologize. There was two Peters. Peter Safran was the Peter. Uh, we apologize. Yes, Peter, because <laughs> you remember Peter Traga was at Brooklyn uh-huh. at the time, and I've done seventy nine interviews today, so I apologize. But like Peter <laughs> Safran understood it, you know, and he helped push it through. And and you know, I saw it right away. I saw that this was like such a bizarre thing of like superheroes that cursed. I never saw that mm-hmm. before, and I thought that's gonna make amazing you know it's gonna be great it's gonna be a great movie but in terms of my cut i mean i don't know if i have my own cut because we i we put in everything we loved i mean the dialogue you see is what james wrote you know i don't really i don't even know if i improvise much on that who movie. even has it's, that movie like that was regency that made it and i don't even know what regency, regency. is now like, well we they got the movie though they really believed in it and regency has it and now the dvd blu-ray is at La La Land, which La La Land is um, like a specialty shop, and it's in Burbank and uh, La La Land Records, and people can get it there now. Um, also, Taryn Manning, who I just talked to on my podcast, that was her first speaking role. Which um, is insane, because now she's in this movie, Last Call, that's Last coming Call, out this weekend. And Jenna Fisher. I mean, dude, we had a lot. We had yeah. a lot. That movie's only going to get better with time. Uh, Lloyd Kaufman, who wrote, when I first moved out to LA, I think this is 04, 05, Lloyd Kaufman, I made a, a short called Gay by Dawn, which is like a horror comedy for, ho- like a horror movie for homophobes. And J- and, and, and uh, Lloyd Kaufman loved it. And he invited me out to Santa Monica to meet James Gunn and uh, Jenna Fisher. And they were still married at the time. And I, I guess they kind of met at the specials around that area. But I just remember going out for the day and seeing the two of them and Lloyd Kaufman and then just getting talked up. Cause I'd made this silly horror movie coming out of school. That was all about, you know, homophobia and this and that, and the shotguns and the, the rednecks and blah, blah, blah. But um, were you a geek growing up? Like you said that you got this script, but like, you know, were you reading comics and stuff growing up? No, that was not my world at all. Um, that was Jamie Kennedy, can, everybody. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no. Dude, I, I'm telling you, like, I, I mean, not to, you know, no, get it's good. disenfranchised with people, but I, I was always into, how can I say this? I was always into, like, reality in terms of, like, I love. I love watching like documentaries, like crazy documentaries, like, you know, like, I don't know, like, like cocaine cowboys, you know, that wasn't mm-hmm. out in the eighties, but like stuff like that, 
I was really into. And I was very, you know, I, I hung around with a bunch of dudes that were like wise asses and I was somewhat athletic. And so I would be out and I would always be cracking jokes. So I was always kind of out and about, you know, and, and I didn't love reading. I mean, I'm a good reader, but it was just a lot. And like comic books, I would like try to do it, but like, I would rather watch Superman than read about him, you know? So when the mm -hmm. movies came out, I watched them and I loved them. When Star Wars came out, I loved it, but I wasn't like consumed by it, you know? And I was just more of a joker. You know, I like to joke a lot. And um, it was until I met James, I really didn't understand. I didn't really have a foot in the world. I didn't know anything about it. And you have to understand before, you know, the first Spider-Man comic book things were very few and far between. I mean, it was like Superman and, and you know, a, a couple, you know, maybe X-Men, you know, like was the first one. And, and so James really, you know, he really uh, broke my cherry. He gave me a book. <laughs> he did. He gave me a book and he's like, I'll never forget. There's two things. He, he, uh, he was staying in my back house and he had a ton of comic books, like just like a, like magazines. And I think that it was from Meltdown. It was like a comic book store, one of those. And yeah, it used to be on Sunset. Yeah. Yeah. He was staying. I didn't live far from there. And he was like, oh, man, I just got this and I got that. And I got this. And, it's like, and he was, was he just, not paying rent. He's spending all his money on comic books. He should have been paying you rent. He was, well, he was, <laughs> it, was the way, it was like an artist colony in the beginning. <laughs> and uh, but he was making great movies. You know, I was, he was going to make this great movie. So I was like, you know, don't worry about it. And so the, he, he was, he was like, I remember he had like seven comic books and he was reading them and they were like, you know, like editions of things I wasn't really familiar with or whatever. And so, and I was like, then he came back and he had more comic books. He'd gone away for a couple of days and I'm like, where'd you go? And I believe this was 99, 98, 90. I want to say, let's just say 99. And he says, Oh, I'm going. I, I just I, I'm. I came back from Comic Con. So this was 22 years ago, and I'm like, "What's that?" I was like, "What's that?" That's the first time I ever heard of it. Was through him, and he's like, "Oh, it's like a, you know, a convention and where people go and real comic book collectors go, and you can get really rare stuff, you know." And I don't know what it was in '99, but I bet Hollywood was not there in full force. So he was going there. And that probably wasn't the first time. So he was going there in 98 or 99, like would drive down there to really get a rare comic. So he is who he makes the movies for. He is that person. He is right. the fan. He is the consumer of what he also conceptualizes, you know? So he know that's why he's perfect for what he's doing because he knows exactly what he wants to see. And he has the voice of many people. And so he gave me a book and he's like, this isn't a comic book, dude. And I'm like, what is it? He's like, it's called a graphic novel. And he's like, you know, welcome. And the movie <laughs> was, and it was called the Watchmen. So I, I had gotten two things. I got a dreamcast, I think. 
whatever was around then. And I got the Watchmen. And I remember I was playing him in tennis, I think on my Dreamcast, and he he got really good. And I, he's like, oh, I got this new player. There's like three things with this story. And the new player was always beating me. I'm like, who's that player? And he's like, his name is Roger Federer. So he would, he would beat me with a 17-year-old Roger Federer. He chose that as his character. And then I was playing that. I was just got a DVD player, so I was starting to watch movies. And I was watching, reading The Watchmen. Those are like the three things I started to do when I started to make money, like video games, DVDs, and then get scripts and see what my next movie could be. And soon I just remember I stopped watching the movies. I remember I got like the heat, like laser disc criterion or whatever. And it was like a six hour thing. And I was like, this is heat, like one of the greatest movies. Yeah. And I, I stopped like watching after three hours because I was so consumed with the Watchmen. I'm like, I'm going to come back to that. So the Watchmen was like this thick. And I think I just read it in like three days. And I literally had never only done that a few times in my life where I read it hardcore, dude. Like I would read it in the morning. I would read it in the afternoon. I would fall asleep reading it. Rorschach and Dr. Ma Dr. Manhattan and just all of these people that, and it wasn't like, it wasn't like there was nothing corny about it. It wasn't like a, a guy's got a laser. and It was like, this dude was like Dr. Manhattan. He had multiple names. It was like transversing dimensions. And it was with space and then real world powers. And, and then I was hooked, dude. And I was like, that is so, it was so fucking cool. And I'm not a huge comic book guy, but I mean, like the, the movies today of Marvel, like Endgame and such have that Watchmen feel. And that, was fucking incredible to me. So then I started reading more like Frank, is it Frank Wright or? Frank Miller. Yeah, Frank Miller. That's when I started, yeah. he started hipping me to that. So then I started reading like more other like cool graphic novels and that really got me into it. And I'm not like, again, I'm not like a comic book head, but I definitely have consumed some graphic novels. And you'd jump back into it if somebody was like, hey man, throw on the tights. We got, a, you, we got you a superhero outfit. We got you oh, a superhero role. Are you kidding me? I would do it in a heartbeat. Like I would love to do it. Like I think the best kind of role you could have is a, you know, a real fucking villain, you know, like that's what I think I would be good at. I would change it up. Like I did, you know, in like criminal minds, people didn't expect me to be that way. And like in a, in a Marvel movie, people don't expect me to be that way. And, and I think that's, that's, it's, that's why I, I loved being a muck in the specials, you know, because, it, it let me say all these things that you would normally wouldn't see a character said. And he's like, look, all right, I fucking, this is what I fucking do. And he was really miserable. Like Amok was really upset because he couldn't live a life normally. And, and he gives you something to play. There's tons yeah. of shoe on. And he like always wanted to like hug girls, but every time he did, he like, <laughs> you know, burnt their back because his hands got too hot. And he was like, what the fuck? Like, so it was hard. And I think that's why, um, Going back to what we're saying about, I, I think it was like the, the perfect, beautiful storm. I don't know enough about it, but like in 2011, okay. I got an award. I was very uh, fortunate to get an award with Universal, um, like a horror icon award. And the Hollywood Horror Movie Nights was really becoming much more of an event. 
And um, uh, Corey Feldman got one the first year, and then I got one the second year, and James agreed to present it to me. I think it was maybe you know, 2011. Sure. It was so sweet of him, and he came out, and he, he presented. And maybe it was 2012. And he, he presented, and he was, it was so nice, and, and gave a wonderful speech. And then we talked a little bit, and then I think within a year – he had gotten guardians and the rest is history. But when I heard that, I just thought that is the perfect thing. And he's the perfect person because there was like this, you tell me, but it was like this lesser known IP that Disney had this monolith had and didn't know what it was. And so it was like, James can go and he can just, put all of his spin on it and he'll just absorb it. He'll create it. They won't even, and he built out, he built out a universe. And I just remember when they were taking pitches and I heard they were taking pitches over at Marvel and the guardians film. I was like, they're going to make a movie out of that. They're not just going to keep making Avengers based characters and kind of play it safe. Like guardians, you, unless like it's a, like Abnett landing stuff from like 10 years earlier, you don't really think of like the iconic Guardians story, and J- you're, you're, what you're saying is exactly right. James came in and told them what that story was. They had an existing script, but it was not what James gave, and he came in and turned it into his thing, and that's why he's a producer on Endgame, and he's built out all this stuff because he's made a corner of that universe, and everyone who said, oh, they, they're getting James Gunn to, to do the movie – we're like, oh, that's so smart. In the same way that when they said Robert Downey Jr. is playing Tony Stark, it, again, Tony Robert Downey was, you know, he, his star was just then rising back up with Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and stuff. He wasn't back yet. And when he got the Tony Stark gig, he wasn't even the first person cast on that one. Remember, like, uh, the Rhodey character. No, it was, um, How, what's his name? Uh, uh, Howard was cast first, the guy who played Rhodey. And then and, mm. and people are like, oh, is he playing Tony Stark? And they're like, no, Robert Downey Jr. is playing Tony Stark. And we're like, what? The guy who, okay, well, where had he been? And so it's just like, oh, that's so brilliant that he's playing that dude because it, it fit. And um, I'm getting some questions from fans. or not, I'm not going to call them fans. I, they're, they're geekscapists. I want to comment one more thing and I'll take it. Is that Chris Taylor is saying, tennis on the Dreamcast. <laughs> <laughs> he loves you, man. Hello, Taylor. What's up, dude? Congratulations. <laughs> the reason why the movie... I think works so well and like the specials worked and what really why guardians works is and why Marvel works again. I'm not in it. It's because Kevin, Kevin, uh, Feige, Feige, yeah, yeah. Kevin Feige is, is also a, a super fan of comics. So it's the authenticity is incredible. And like you just said, James went in and he basically pulled a Steve Jobs. He's like, I'm going to give you what you don't even know you need yet. Yeah. And that's brilliant. Uh, you know what? I'm, I'm learning a lot about you, Jamie, but I always knew you were like a legit human. Uh, I've got some friends still in the stand-up game who you take out and you take care of, like Renee Vaca and those dudes who open for you here and there. He's your boy? Yeah. I, I, <laughs> Renee is so damn funny. And then we have a Geekscapist who does animation, and he's been with us from, I mean, he's been a Geekscapist for 15 years and he does animation. His name's Alex Major and he does little things every now and then he works for, for stand-ups. And I think he's done an animated character or two for you. But what I like is that you 
you look out for people and you're like, okay, nobody knows who this person is, but I'm going to bring them up because I just want to collaborate with new people. And I don't care if they're famous. I don't care if they've got, you know, a bunch of cred. I see something in them in the same way that you're talking about stories. I see something in there. There's a nugget of sincerity or something that's real that I can work with and we can grow that. And it says a lot about you, you know, you're legit. Oh, thank you. I mean, I've always been attracted to talent, you know, I mean, if somebody's good, I think they deserve a shot. And, you know, um, I've worked with a lot of people early in their career and it's just because I liked what they were doing, you know? And I think that sometimes in this town and this business, we get too caught up in like what's hot. And, you know, like, I think, I think, I think, uh, Michael Bay said it. I'm not sure, but it was a great quote. He said, we're in a town of imitators, not innovators. You know, they don't take enough risks, you know? And he was like a guy that took a lot of risks on his first bad boys. If you see where he put the check up to reshoot. He put that camera in the most insane places in that that bad boys. There's like no traditional coverage. That's incredible. There's an energy to that movie that is insane. Yeah. And so, I think that, you know, that's, that's the problem with Hollywood. You know, there's a lot of amazing things with Hollywood, but one is, is that, you know, you got to, if we don't take risks, we're not going to, we're not going to power forward. We're not going to find new voices. And that's, you know, what we have to do. And it's like, you know, I, I want to, I just want to do stuff that's good. And I think that audiences will like, and so sometimes a lot of that you find in new fresh faces cause they have got so much pent up creativity. Um, they you know, don't the know story. any better. They're not playing yeah, it safe. Exactly. Which may be something you take from, from stand-up. Like, you, you learn not to play it safe. Like, fuck it. If it doesn't work, I'm off the stage in 15 minutes. It doesn't matter. I know, dude. But the world is getting so bizarre now where it's like... The internet try, remembers. Well, no. It's just like if you try... Yeah, so what? The internet remembers. Yeah. The problem is, is that how are people taking that memory? And like, you know, and it's just like... All of our businesses, it's just one big try. That's it. It's all a try, man. You try, and hopefully you connect, and that's it. But, you know, there's a lot of bullshit in between those two things, from an idea in the brain to getting to you, the consumer. Mm-hmm. And But anyway, with unknown people, it doesn't to me, I don't care if they're known or not. If they're just good, they're good. Yeah. Uh, Renee's hilarious. Uh, people are asking about the son of the mask, People didn't expect Son of a Mask. It, Son of the Mask was a, was a risk. You took it. Maybe it didn't work. I think about that time that you went up for, like, when E3 tried to do that thing out in Santa Monica and you hosted E3 and it just wasn't. And that video is rough. You know what I mean? The videos from E3 2007 when you were hosting is that it, gig. Is that rough? I, I'm watching it. I'm like, fuck, man. They're, they're being merciless. But, but see, here's the thing. I'm going to tell you something. Please, I please. I did a lot of jokes that they didn't like, <laughs> you know? So it's like, I played to a crowd that didn't like it, but I mean, I tried, but like, okay. So it, it didn't work for them, you know? And that's like, that's what I'm saying. It's like, we try and what can I say? I mean, I, I, I try, you know, and it's like, you know, well, what are, people ask about son of the mess. I clearly, Two things you, I can say about this. People still talk about Son of the Mask. It's like, clearly it made an impact. 
that you're still talking about it. Grown men, grown <laughs> men are upset about a kid's movie. What does that tell you about yourself? Like what? And like two, the E3 thing is now a top two or out of top 10 game faux pas. It's like number two. Clearly, yes. Who made that list? (laughs) Multiple lists. So clearly I I thought about it and I'm like, I'm kind of like feel better about this stuff because it's like I have an impact. Whether it's good or bad, I'm impactful, you know? And it's like when it's Randy, it's a good impact. When it's Son of the Mask, it's a bad impact. You know, when it's Malibu's, it's a great impact for people that love comedy. And, like, for critics, it's a weird impact, you know? (laughs) Whether it's E3, it's a terrible impact to the gaming community. But comedians are like, hey, you gave it a try. So I'm actually getting much more comfortable with my with that stuff because i'm still making impacts mm-hmm. yeah i think that the idea is and i say this to people I, I say this to my students if you're going to fail like fail spectacularly because it meant you fucking swung for it you know what i mean like just Hold swing on, let for me help it you with that what what yeah. do you teach i teach screenwriting and film okay where do you I'm teach it at? oh i'm here in the valley in columbia okay i would argue that i wouldn't even use that term fail yeah that's like, a good point you, you gotta fucking try, man. Like, the fucking Victor is the person who gets up and puts the pen to the paper. You know, like all of these people are now that they just like, do commentary. They just do commentary. Yes, they, yeah, no shit. We, I, they they just want to talk about people who do it. People, can it's talk. it's sports radio. It's a bunch of losers talking about winners, straight up. Yeah, and I'm not gonna call them losers. I'm not gonna. Oh, call sorry, them I did. But it's like, I'm, I'm like this. The one thing people can say about me is, you can say whatever you want about me, but I'm not scared. I take chances. And I and you know what? Sometimes they come out on the right side of history, and sometimes they come out on the wrong side of history. But that's what our business is. This is what our life is. This is what a creative person does. You try, okay? I'm sorry. Like, if, if Son of the Mask doesn't make you happy... I'm sorry, and that's okay. Did it ruin your life that you're still talking about it 16 <laughs> years later? And you're in your 40s? <laughs> like, you should talk about that in your class. Like, what is that? Yeah, like, no, there are things that, like, if I had a chance, I'm like, oh, yeah, let's go back and erase that stuff. I think everybody has that stuff that if they could go back and definitely. erase it, they'd definitely do it. But ultimately, they did it. You know, that woman wouldn't have pinched my nipple, wouldn't have bit my nipple if I hadn't been running around Comic-Con in my, you know, in my underwear trying to make laughs. But that's what you do. You know, that's what helped Geekscape well, you get noticed. Yeah, but you, you didn't deserve to get your nipple bitten. But Nobody deserves look, to get their nipples pinched without, uh, with, bit without, without consent. Yeah, <laughs> but like in terms of like what we're doing, it's like, you know, there's certain – things I wish I did different or different careers. I, you know, I wish I got a certain job or didn't, but you know, that's how you learn, but uh, there's a piece coming to it, which is nice now. And, um, but you're right. Is it, is it fear? Like, have you learned Oh, that's just fear. Fuck fear. Does that make sense? Um, Early on, early on, you thought everything was more precious. Yes. I think, I think 
things are a lot less precious now. I think Hollywood is a lot less precious now. I think, you know, like, dude, the Grammys were down 58%. The Golden Globes are down 61%. I think Hollywood, and it's not just COVID, dude. Like, it's getting disrupted. There's people like you. Like, you don't have to watch, uh, you know, you, you may respect um, something on G4, and I love G4, but you're like, I can create my own show. I don't need to go to G4. And that's what people are doing. You, you're disrupting. You know, Harry Knowles was the first with Ain't It Cool News. He didn't I like remember. the typical reviewer. So he's like, I'm going to do it. I, I, I'm going to tell you what it was numb butathon, you know, like he, so he's the pioneer. And so I think that a lot of people are like, people like you who are really doing it, you're actually doing it. You're putting your foot in the ring and you're risking We're making films. We're yes, making products. And you're risking your ridicule from your fellow man, which you can't go out. You can't set – you cannot go out and try to – and listen, I do it all the time – and try to worry what people think. I do. Anyone who says they don't read their YouTube comments is a fucking liar. <laughs> Put that in this. They're fucking liars. You're a fucking liar, whoever says that. They're bullshit. That's why we do it. We do it because we want the praise. We want the love. We want the attention. We want to feel special. That's why we do it. That's why we make movies. That's why we play basketball. That's why we become rock stars. All of it. It's bullshit if you say any other thing. Mainly we do that, it for the girls early on. We do it for attention from girls. Yeah, you but then wanted, it turns on everybody. You want, yeah, you want attention. And you want to be cool. And so, at this, but at the end of the day, it's like, I think more people are trying their creative hand with YouTube and it's actually a beautiful time. And, you know, even with TikTok, and I see so many chefs and besides the dancing, I see makeovers and, and travel and, and RVs and, and sports. And people are really just saying, this is how I'm, I'm going to express myself. And I think in a world when we are expressing ourselves and just kind of finding our own lane, we don't have to worry about the other person. I think taking down someone else makes us feel better. But I think with more apps and stuff, the more people can express themselves, maybe they'll be a little less bitter. And I'm not saying they shouldn't be. And I'm not saying we didn't make some – I haven't made some huge mistakes in my career. But it's like, all right, I tried. Let me live. Can I try again? Yeah, you weren't a piece of shit about it either. It's not like you were harassing anybody. It wasn't – you were just trying – you were swinging you – were, you were swinging for it. And there are people who will never get out of the dugout. They won't even go to the field. They don't even drive to the parking lot. And they don't understand. It's like this stuff. Like I was talking to somebody about something else about what they were talking about. Oh, we were talking about, I was talking about another podcast about people were mad at the Tom Cruise rant. Anyone who criticized that doesn't work in movies. They just don't. Like they don't know the pressure. Tom Cruise is the you know, rarest of A-list stars with the rarest of franchises still successful over 25 years and the first huge movie out of the gate, he's got to set the tone and he's like, yo, just fucking follow COVID protocol. So he fucking had a massive, you know, he was telling his feelings and trying to, no one got fired. He's like, just follow protocol. And people are trying to take him down. It's like, give me a break, man. This is fucking chess, not checkers. Like if it that was might have been the fifth time he was saying that too. Yeah, that's just like, the one that we heard. This is a high pressure life. It's two hundred million dollars. We're not working at you know the uh, lemonade hut, you know. And I'm not saying that's a bad job. I'm just saying there's a lot of pressure. 
Lemonade Hut. Yeah, we're going to work for that minimum wage for you, Lemonade Hut people. Don't you worry. We haven't forgotten you. You know, we haven't forgotten the minimum wage. Uh, Jamie, uh, I'm getting questions about this Cybertron pilot. I'm, you know, the, the, we, we wow, you guys really are the deep. <laughs> they want deep. you to talk about working with Power Rangers, oh, Jason David Frank and stuff like that. So we, don't get can- so we don't get canceled. What I was saying about the Lemonade Hut, meaning yeah. it's probably less pressure. That's you be Right, we get it. Yeah, no, no. I, I, I think any any job at this point with the level of unemployment that we had in COVID is a legit job. And yes. it, it, But yeah, Tom Cruise is responsible for thousands of jobs under him through distribution through ex- for the next 30 years of that movie is going to continue yes. to be a cash cow. Um, and But yeah, people are asking you about the Cybertron. What was it like working on that pilot? I'd never even heard of this thing and the Geekscapers are finding this stuff. What's the Jamie. question? The, the question is... Uh, he was on the pilot of VR Troopers when it was being called Cybertron, and Jason David Frank was the lead before being called back to Power Rangers and being replaced by Brad Hawkins. What was it like working with Jason David Frank? Do you remember it? You've done so much, yeah. dude. Jason Elliott, let me tell you, that was in nine. That was twenty-seven years ago. But I have a, <laughs> I have a story for you. I have a story for you. Um, he's the what? Is he the Red Ranger? I think he's green, maybe. I don't know. I'm not a. It's a little. I'm a little uh, old for the range. Here's the thing: is that at the time, Power Rangers was the number one show, like kind of on in the world. Like it came on in the afternoon. It was a genius concept of like taking live action footage now, mixing it with older, almost kind of anime ish, you know, monster stuff, and it was incredible, ahead of its time. And this was a spinoff. And it was a huge break for me. And I got it when I was 23 years old. And uh, we did the pilot. And then, you know, I, it never went to series. Um, and I, it was for Jason David Frank. I don't remember. He was a very nice guy. I mean, I, I met him. And um, I just remember he was He's just like a super, 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 you know, martial artist. And he was in super shape, very cool, very focused. But this was like 27 years ago. But I will say uh, I saw him a couple of years ago at another convention. And I'm like, dude, remember we did that pilot? He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if he remembered me actually from the pilot. But uh, it was my first break. And I'll never – that gave me tape, which then led me to get a commercial agent, which then led me to get commercial. So it was a big project for me. That's huge, man. Um and again, you, you know, I want you geeks gave us to do a few things, all right? We're not going to keep Jamie forever. But I want you all to check out Taylor Morton's uh, film, The Last Blockbuster. It's on Netflix this week. Uh, it's awesome. It's a documentary on The Last Blockbuster. I worked at Blockbuster in high school. I think we all have fond memories of Blockbuster. What happened to Blockbuster? We'll watch the movie, The Last Blockbuster. It's on uh, Netflix. The other thing I want you all to do is watch another movie that has The Last in it. The Last Call. It's just called Last Call. There's no uh. the... That's on VOD. That's this movie with Jeremy Piven going back to his hometown. And uh, Jamie, I think, plays one of his hometown buddies, right? Mm-hmm. And you're back from the old neighborhood. And the neighborhood's not changed, but he's changed. And now he's back in the neighborhood trying to change the neighborhood. And maybe he's reawakening a little bit of himself and who he used to be, rediscovering himself. Am I, am I doing this right? <laughs> Someone has a log line. It's uh, uh no, I watched the trailer and I was like, I think I know what this movie's about. I think I get it. Needs a little more Jamie in it, but I get it. No, it's it's great. It's it's um 
it's about a guy who basically made good in life and then he uh, leaves his town and then he comes back and um, he's got a chance to make a lot of money or, you know, kind of save his old neighborhood. And in doing so, he reconnects with his crew and, you know, finds out what's important to him. And it's a real, you know, kind of a statement what's going on now, you know, like, Mom and pop businesses are everything in this country, you know, and, and any country. And as much as I love Amazon, it's I still don't get my local meatballs from them. You know, I don't get my local, you know, cheese steak or, you know, a good pizza from them. And and we need that. We need those different voices, you know, just like we need different voices in the creative community. We need it in, you know, the business community. And that's kind of what this movie is about. It's like saving kind of small businesses. Well, uh, it seems like a cool indie movie. Definitely check it out this weekend. Um, Jamie, I can't keep you, but uh, I just remembered uh, 2010, 2011, you were hosting a pilot for a record-breaking show, like a Guinness World Record-style show. You were shooting it at LA Live. I got to tell you, I just remembered this. I went down to LA Live with my dog at the time, a Boston Terrier, and we popped balloons hoping to get the world record for fastest balloon popping. We came in second. And that was my dog Rufus, my late dog Rufus, my best friend. And you were so cool, dude, to be uh, hosting that. I went down there because they invited my my wife at the time. She couldn't make it, so I took the dog. And uh, I just wait remember a minute, that, dude. Dude, that was you were did that was did, me. Were you, on, were you on camera? Yeah, with a, with my little dog Rufus. I just I remember. Think I that. remember that, dude. It was called Guinness World Records Gone Wild. Is that and, right? Uh, Everything was gone wild back then. <laughs> yeah. Dude, it's so crazy. I think that was 2011 or 2012. I want to say 2011. I remember where I was living because I remember the drive home and just kind of – I like, got to get the yeah. pilot. Dude, I got so many notes from that fucking pilot. And they were serious? like, oh, God. And I, and, um, and I remember – the, there was a record for uh, the guy that could unclip. This was a real thing. Yeah, and, and he's a porn to... star. He could unclip the bras, like the most bras in like a minute or something. He's a porn he was star. A porn star? Not only was he a porn star, we recognized each other in the in the green room because he had been in a Superman porn, and as a, and as a gag, we had had him down to Comic Con to sign autographs at our booth as Superman. <laughs> And people were coming by. We had like four or five porn stars one year who were in the parody porn superhero stuff in their superhero outfit, signing autographs at our at our Comic Con booth as a gag. So we had like four or five people in like Green Lantern costumes and this and that, but they were wearing their porn version of their costumes. And we had them signing autographs at our booths. And the kids were all excited to meet them, but the parents totally knew who they were. He was the Superman. So I, the next time I saw him was in the green room for that world record show. And I said, what are, what are you doing here? And he said, I'm going to pop as many bras as I can in a minute. What are you doing here? And I said, my dog's going to try and pop as many balloons as he can in a minute. <laughs> and that was Wait. him, dude. <laughs> Wait a minute. Didn't that guy have like a beard and stuff? Uh, no, He's like. Uh, that's got to be a different yeah. guy. There yeah. was a guy. There was another. I don't know. Well, there was a guy that looked like. <laughs> I swear he was. He was. Dude, the bra guy wasn't like. I don't know if that porn star is studly or not, but the bra guy wasn't that studly and he had like a beard and he had like a funny, like, 
Gandalf hat. And I was like, like, so my joke was, I was, I just made it up. I was like, well, how did you learn this? You know, in the Shire, you know, and a huge, it was got a great laugh. And they were like, you know, we really don't want to call our guest Gandalf. I'm like, what's wrong with Gandalf? And like, and they were like, well, it was kind of like you're poking fun at him. Like the guy had a Gandalf hat on and his world record is fucking undoing bras, which now you can probably get that network canceled for having that. And I'm like, what do you do? And then, so they got mad at that joke. That's what's so that's- killing it, Jamie. Like that, I think that middle management stuff is what's killing, you know, I remember doing a show about gamers and getting a note from somebody at a studio that was like, what's Halo? And I'm like, why are you in this conversation? It's one of the biggest video games of all time. And I think that when you talk about independent people and independent voices using things like YouTube and TikTok to rise up and create new entertainment. It's because the like dearth of people like that who just want to like give notes and pick things to death instead of doing what we've talked about this whole show is take risks and just make it and see where it lands and just see where it lands. And if it turns out to not work, you move on and then make something else. And you just make something else because it's not about being good. It's about being prolific because People's idea of good is completely subjective. It doesn't matter. You try and make something good. You always try and make something good. But if it lands somewhere else, it doesn't matter. You just got to keep moving on because it's about making a lot of stuff, not necessarily about being perfect because that's a a moving target you're never going to hit. Welcome to my TED Talk. (laughs) Yeah, I I agree with all that. (laughs) All right, dude. Um, Jamie, thanks, man. It's been awesome. Uh, the movie again is called Last Call. It's out in uh, VOD this uh, weekend. You know, for Patty's Day. St. Patty's Day is this week, so now you get a, a, a you know, a movie about a dude coming back to his old haunts and uh, having a beer with his old buddies in the old neighborhood. It seems fitting. Um, Jamie, we can check you out at jamiekennedy.com. That's where we can find out when you're going back on the road, putting it all back together. You got a comedy yeah, special in that? Yeah, yeah. You can go to my Instagram, the Jamie Kennedy, my YouTube page. I'm really getting busy on that, Jamie Kennedy. So those are the three places I would go. Awesome, dude. We're going to start to work on that uh, superhero movie for you to play a villain in, and uh, we'll be in contact with you on that one. We, we'll for do real. It. We'll do it. Don't you worry. We'll we'll make real. you a villain. A motherfucker. Um, <laughs> anything else? You Anything else you want to add to the Geekscapist? Let them know about? Um, don't be scared to get out. Go outside, too. You know, you can get out and enjoy the sun sometimes. All right. We'll be out of this together, folks. Uh, we'll get through this thing together, and uh, we'll all start making stuff and getting out there again soon. So just start thinking about what you're going to do because we want to, you know, as Jamie says, let's all bust out and start taking some risks, Okay. Uh, love you, dude, and uh, we'll be back on a new Geekscape next week. Okay? Peace, Thank everybody. you, brother. Peace, Thanks, you guys. Man. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.